Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 119, Psalm 119, verses 97 through 112. If you grab a pew Bible or really any Bible, just open it to the middle, you'll be close. Um, I didn't get an exact page on the pew Bibles, to the high 200s, you'll find it. Psalm 119, 97 through 112. Let me pray. Father, we invite your presence as we come to worship you by hearing your word and hearing your Holy Spirit speaking to us. Lord, would you remove any obstacle or hindrance, either in me or in everyone who is listening? Lord, that we would truly hear your word and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 119, verses 97 through 112. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. This is God's word. For our 90th anniversary celebration of a church called Twin City Bible Church, I find it appropriate to preach a sermon on the beauty and wonder of God's Word, the thing that, upon which, as we trust, helps us to remain faithful. Um, what's clear about the origin of TCBC when you think about the historical context, a church that was birthed in 1933 what was happening in the church, capital C, at that time was really two divergent paths. Uh, one path was uh, there were churches who would be, you could refer to in theological terms as liberal, who were uh, finding that the social gospel was the centerpiece of their mission, uh, helping community members and doing things like that. And Jesus was becoming more and more on the peripheral. And there were another set of churches on the other path who were trying to hold on to the primacy and authority of God's word. And just even a quick survey of our history, it's clear which path TCBC was positioning itself on. And in an age of anti-authority, this text corrects wrong assumptions about scripture, the culture, and sometimes our own hearts dismiss. And so here's, here's a few things I want us to to really embrace that the scripture is teaching us. First, the title of our, my message today is The Word of Wisdom. 
And this text explains how the word works in your life. First, it says it's, it, it works down, then up. Secondly, it works in, then out. It takes you deeper and higher. And lastly, it tells you the way into it. How do you have it work in your life? So down, then up, in, then out, deeper and higher. And finally, the way into this word. Down, then up. Verse 97 and 98 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for devil is with me. Wiser than my enemies. Now, you might say, wiser than my enemies? Well, I don't need God's word to know that. I already know I'm better than my enemies. That's why they're my enemies, right? They're not as smart as I am. They're not as morally upright as I am. That's why they're my enemies. If they were to be more like me, they wouldn't be my enemies. They would come onto the level playing field that I'm on. You know, it's interesting, the human heart, right? If your enemy does something stupid, you say, oh, what an idiot. But if you do that, you say, well, you know, nobody's perfect, right? <laughs> if your enemy does something insensitive, you're like, I can't believe that person, you know, that guy, that girl, how insensitive. But if you do that, well, I mean, you know, I, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to say that, right? Um, there, was, there was a study done recently that uh, came up with this terminology. It was a social sciences study, came up with this terminology called uh, motive um, attribution asymmetry. Motive attribution, that's a mouthful. Motive attribution asymmetry. And there were these uh, professors, one was on the East Coast, one was at Kellogg, one was at, uh, in Australia, and they were trying to determine, you know, really like the core sort of mentality of groups that hate each other or really opposed to each other. So who did they study? They studied Republicans and Democrats, and then they studied Israelis and Palestinians. This is before the war was, this version, I should say, the war was going on in the Middle East. Um, and here's what they found. They found that for your in-group, so the people who were on your side, when you would do something, or your group members would do something or say something, they would conclude, oh, you conclude, oh, it's because of love that we do that. But when the enemy group, the out-group does something, they, were, they would conclude, oh, they're just such haters. Look at them. So I do something, we do something, love. You do something, enemy, hate, right? So the study found out, or tells us something that the scripture's been telling us for several millennia, that the human heart is self-deceptive, that you put yourself on a pedestal and you put your enemy in a pit and you're looking down. Everyone thinks they're better than their enemies. Everyone thinks they're smarter or more morally upright, but that's not what the scripture says. It says it makes you wiser. How does it do that? What does it mean? The wisdom of the Bible is not that you're better than your enemies. The wisdom of the Bible is you're actually just like them. You see, Miroslav Volf, who is a uh, Croatian theologian, he says this, forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. I'll read that again. If forgiveness flounders because I exclude my enemy from the community of humans, you're not human, I'm looking down on you, 
even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners, I'm not messed up. I'm a good person. I elevate myself on a pedestal. The Bible shows you that both you and your enemy are sinners. I mean, you look at the, the, the sort of the A-list, if you will. Noah gets drunk. Abraham lies about his wife being his sister. Moses kills a person. David kills someone and commits adultery. These are the A-list guys, the sort of heroes, if you will, of the story. They're all messed up. We're all sinners. So, so, so the wisdom of the scripture, it actually t- it brings you down first. See, it actually shows you who you truly are. Both you and your enemy have the capacity to do the same things. And in fact, given the right set of circumstances, you may actually do what they do. That's what the scripture tells, it shows us. And, and, and it's through that that you actually gain more wisdom than your enemy because you're no longer treating them the way that they're treating you. You're no longer seeing them the way that they're seeing you and the way that everybody sees each other. The rich look down on the poor, the poor look down on the rich. The uh, you know, nationalists look down on the woke and the woke look down on the nationalists. So on and so forth. And conflict abounds because of the nature of the human heart. Yet the word of God makes you wiser than your enemies. So first it takes you down. And, and, and when you encounter the cross, you realize instead of vengeance, you should offer your enemy mercy, prayer, forgiveness. Because when you encounter the cross, you can't look down on your enemy. You look at him or her on the same plane. You're the same. Brings you down. But it also says it lifts you up. You see in verses 99 and 100, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Becca and I have been watching this uh, Disney Plus show called To Catch a Smuggler. And it's all about the um, customs and border patrol and airports and, and uh, different places where you're needing to check people or products coming into our borders. And it's amazing how these, these uh, officers, these CBP officers, they, they, I mean, they, they, they look at hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of pieces of luggage every day and thousands of, of, of you know, people traveling every day. But they're able to just spot, as for, for example, in the x-ray, oh, there's, a, there's this inconsistency in the density. Let's, let's take a little closer look at that. Lo and behold, they, they cut this, the lining of the suitcase open and there's all this cocaine or whatever. Or, you know, that, that passenger looks really nervous. They were not making eye contact and they were getting sweaty. And then lo and behold, they ask more and more questions and they're smuggling, you know, some drug or they're, you know, not declaring, you know, some a money amount above the, the limit or what have you. And, and you see, how do they do that? Well, with the wisdom that they gain from experience and knowledge and time. But the scripture says it gives you a, a wisdom that's even above that. It's above time and above knowledge because it makes you wiser than your teachers and the elders. What kind of wisdom is that? It's a wisdom that comes only by revelation. In Jesus Christ, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children. You see, the wisdom of the scripture, it comes to those who've 
been properly brought down so that they can therefore be lifted up. So it takes you down and then up. That's the first point. Secondly, the way that wisdom from the scripture works is it first goes in and then out. Our culture says, follow your heart, right? It says to, it says you be you, right? That's what our culture tells us. Here's what the, the scripture says. We'll talk a little bit about, about the problematic nature of following your heart. Verse 101, it says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. And it says how sweet your words are, and though through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. There's a sense of restraint that scripture brings you, yet our culture opposes restraint and says, no, you be you. You push off anything in culture or external to yourself that is limiting who you truly are, and you become who you truly are by looking inside yourself. Here's the problem with that line of thinking culture is telling us. Have you ever actually listened to your heart? If it, you know, nine o'clock at night, right? You're getting ready for bed or 10 o'clock or if you're a student, 1 p.m., 1 a.m. or whatever, um, whatever the case is. And, and, and then and your heart says, eat a piece of chocolate cake, <laughs> right? Or try that donut, you know, the fifth one. And, uh, and, and you're like, oh, I should do that. And so you go and you eat that. And then 10 minutes later, you know what happens? Your heart says, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Right? Because it, it, it tells you one thing, and then it tells you you shouldn't have done the thing it told you. Right? It, it gives you a suggestion, and then it makes you regret the thing that you did. Maybe you, you stay up all night, and you binge Netflix the next morning. Why did I stay up all night? I shouldn't have done that. Your heart chooses, and then it regrets. It, you, you, you dated someone, and then later you're like, why did I date that person? I, I shouldn't have done that. Your heart chooses and then it regrets. There's no roadmap, there's no guardrails, yet that's the thing you're supposed to follow to learn who you are? Which part of it? The one that chooses the first time or the one that regrets the choice later? Which part of your heart are you supposed to follow? How's that supposed to work? See, following your heart is like following the wind. You don't know which way it's going to turn, and you don't know where it's going to lead you. On a deeper level, when you think about the human heart, you know, for many of us, we make decisions. Some of us would say, well, it's the fear, it's the fear of missing out, right? I don't want to miss out, therefore I am going to go do that thing. Or for others of us, it's the fear of better options. Well, if I commit to this thing, I might be excluding myself from this other thing that could come along that's better. So it's the fear of missing out or the fear of better options, or maybe it's just fear. That's below the surface, the thing that our heart is listening to or being dictated by that's saying do this or don't do that. I would venture for all of us, there's fear that's there. Fear of failure, Fear of disappointing others, fear of rejection, fear of the lack of affirmation, a fear of exposure. 
You see, if we are told to follow our heart and we have a below the surface, we have a heart that is wishy-washy, and then below that is this fear, no wonder we have so much anxiety as a society. The, so so, so the, the culture says, move in and then out in declaration, but God's word says, it goes in and then outward in transformation. And here's, let me just show you this real quick and we'll move on to the, the next point. In verse 101, it says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I'm, doing, I'm restraining myself, Father, so that I might keep your word. But when in, in verse 104, it says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now, if we were to think about this cause and effect, which one comes first, me deciding to hold my feet back or the word bringing understanding? And we think about uh, you know, the, the psalm and recognize um, in Hebrew poetry, cause and effect doesn't always come in a logical order. We would, we would realize that the first one is actually in verse 104. First, what happens, you expose yourself to God's word, it starts to bring understanding. It starts to change, it changes you from the inside. It doesn't say, hey, here are all the ways you should behave, therefore start obeying, like regular wisdom. It says, no, I'm gonna change your heart. I'm gonna take and make what's of God, make it taste sweet to you. And then finally, as a result 101, I hold back my feet from every evil way. It, God's word, it brings you down and then up, and it works first in, and then out, changes you from the inside. Thirdly, it takes you deeper than higher. The psalmist says in 105, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Why do you need a lamp? Well, because it's dark. And you think, about, you think about our world, you think about the trajectory of your life, at any moment, things can go dark. All it takes is one doctor's visit, all it takes is one phone call from a relative. All it takes is for the thing that you fear, that perpetual fear inside you to actually become a reality. And all of a sudden, the lights go out. This, uh, the psalmist, he has this relationship with God through his word that he sees the word as being the thing that illuminates, that gives light to my path. When it gets dark, what good does following your heart do for you then? Where do you turn? I mean, when, 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 when it gets dark, whether you're following your heart or whether you're just, you know what, I say I'm a, I'm a Christian, I don't know if I have this type of relationship that the psalmist has with the word of God and the one who wrote the word, the author of the word rather, the God of the universe. What do you do when it gets dark? What do you do when you get that phone call? What do you do when you have that office visit, you know, at the doctor or whatever the case is? You panic, right? That's what I do. You start grasping at things that you can control. You know, if you're a parent, you put extra tight grip on kids, right? I can control them, sort of. 
Um, you unravel, you self-medicate, you start overworking, overeating, you, your life goes into escapism, overindulgence, and entertainment and things. Even as a believer, if God's word isn't functioning in your heart the way that it is for this psalmist, when it gets dark, you're tempted to become a cynic, right? You're tempted to say, God, where are you? Look, God, I have served you. Look at all the things that I've done for you. Lord, look at how I've served you. Look at, how, look, look at what I've done for you. Look at how I've lived for you. And you let this happen? You bring me through this? You allow that, right? We be, we're tempted to become cynics. You see, that's why you need a light in the darkness. You need a light when it becomes dark because you don't have one inside yourself on your own. You need the word that brings light. It, it, you, you see the psalmist here, he's, he's saying the word brings light to me. And he describes some of the darkness. He describes how he responds in the darkness. He says in verse 106, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it. I'm holding on, in other words, to your word, Lord, to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings. I'm going to praise you, God, in the dark. I hold my life in my hand continually, which basically means I'm in danger. But I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not go astray or do not stray from your precepts. You see, he's, he's crying out, God, your word is light to me. And in darkness, here's how I respond. I hold to your word and I endure all that darkness brings to me because I know ultimately your word is light. You see, what God's word does is it... it, 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 it brings you down and then up. It, bring, it works in and then out. It takes you deeper into who Jesus is. When you walk through darkness and you hold on to God's word, it takes you deeper. It takes you deeper into him. It takes you deeper into Christ. It brings depth into your life. It brings depth into your testimony. It brings depth into how you engage with others. And even as it brings that depth it also brings you higher. You see, because what does he say in verse 111? He's, he, he, so he's, Lord, your word is my, it's my light. And through, even in darkness, I'm holding on to it. Verse 111, he says, it's the joy of my heart. You see, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, holding on to God's word, as we sang about earlier, the word of God becomes your joy. Because it, it, it tells you about who your true joy is. It tells you about, as Job said, I know that my redeemer lives. Takes you higher. And, 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 and so much so, he, find, he finishes this thought with, I incline my heart to perform your statues forever to the end. Instead of, instead of following your heart, and then picking and choosing, okay, I, I'll accept that, but I won't take that from the scripture. 
Instead of that, it says, no, I'm going to incline my heart. Lord, I give you my heart. You, you, you show me. It's, it, you, this is my joy. You're letting, inst- instead of you sort of dictating or your heart dictating to you, what of the scripture you take on and what of you reject, you let the scripture be the authority and start shaping your heart so that it, it becomes sweet to you. It becomes your joy. It becomes what you love. Because, not in and of itself, because behind it and, and, and the author of it is the maker of heaven and earth, the one who redeems you. Instead of reading your Bible, you're letting the Bible read you. It works its way down then up, in then out, takes you deeper and higher. Takes you so high you want more of it. But how do you have that type of relationship with God's word? You see, because if you can't access it in the way that the psalmist is talking about, if you don't have that type of relationship with God through his word, then none of this matters. You won't have a light. You won't have, it won't taste sweet to you. It won't be your joy. How do you get into it? It's this last point, the way into it. Well, you need two things, two things, two points. To gain access into this type of relationship, there's two things that he says that you have to have. You have to have these. So the first one in verse 107, he says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. This is one of the few imperatives in these um, 16 verses. Give me life. The first thing you need, the Holy Spirit has to enliven your heart. Has to. You could get three PhDs in biblical studies and not have this type of relationship with God's word without the Holy Spirit. You won't have it. It's impossible to have. You can't have it. You can't say, well, I'm just gonna hunker down. You know, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna get up, you know, 5 a.m. and I'm gonna start reading. You have to have the Holy Spirit turn the light on. Your eyes have to be open. In fact, your eyes need to be open, not just to God in general, but specifically to the reality, as verse 107 says, I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. You have to be, your eyes have to be open to the reality that Jesus Christ was the one afflicted for you. That he was the one who was wiser than his enemies. That he was wiser than his teachers and the elders. And he was afflicted for you. And in your moment of cynicism, you say, okay, God, you know, I've done all these things for you. I've lived this way for you. I've served you all these ways. Look what I've done for you. How could you do that? You actually have to see, when your eyes are open, you see that Jesus is saying, Look at all the things I've done for you. Look at how I've served you. Look at how I lived and died and rose again for you. You have to see that. And as you see that, then, then, then you, you, you gain access. It's, it, it's supernatural. The, the Holy Spirit has to open your heart. 
to the reality of the word, and it ha- he, he, he has to open your heart to the reality of the word who became flesh, Jesus Christ. You see, so that's, that's point one, the first thing you need to gain access. But then here's the second thing. See, you actually have to do something too. And by the way, everything that the psalmist here is talking about is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only possible to say, God, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm swearing an oath. I'm confirming it. I'm going to keep your word. I taste it, and it's like honey to me. It's sweeter than honey. You, you can't say that except by the Holy Spirit working in your life. But here's the other thing you have to do. You have to have this. Verse 97. He says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 98. It is ever with me. Verse 99, your testimonies are my meditation. You have to meditate on God's word. You have to engage with it over and over. In our age of instant access, instant answers, everything is so instant, you can't take an instant approach with the word of God. If you want it to taste sweet, if you want to have light in the darkness, if you want to have security whenever your heart fails, you have to meditate. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have your eyes opened. You have to have God teaching you, as the psalmist says, but you also have to meditate. You have to put, you you have to spend time. You have to sit with it. You have to listen to it. You have to keep coming back. You have to fight with your heart. Right? You have to fight with the hardness of your heart and say, you know, even though I, I'm more interested in this other thing, I'm going to spend time in God's word. You have to fight with the culture because the culture will tell you, no, you don't need those restraints. You don't need those things. You have to meditate. So you need the, you need the light of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, and the person of Jesus Christ living in you, and you need to meditate. And then you can say, by God's grace, I'm not letting go of this. So what does this mean? Well, it means, it means a lot of things. But here's a few things. You can go to the Bible. You can go to the God's word every so often. And when you, know, when you feel like it, when you get around to it, and it, it will help you. It'll be there. It's, God is faithful. He's merciful. But if you take that approach, it's probably not going to be sweeter than honey. It's probably not going to be the light that you need. It's probably not. And you probably won't be able to say it's your joy. You may even dismiss that as a notion of, oh, that's not even necessary. That's not even, why do I need to take it that seriously? If you want this kind of relationship with God through his word, where you become wiser than your enemies, not just foolish, just like them, where you have wisdom beyond your teachers and elders. If you want this kind of relationship with God's word, with God through his word, where fear isn't driving your life, your decisions, but there's grace to melt away fear. If you want to taste the sweetness of the word that's sweeter than honey, you first, you got to have Christ You have to have the power of the Spirit. He needs to be your teacher, and you have to meditate. Uh, It was uh, was, was a little over a year ago. Um, 
my family, for those of you who are regularly attending here, were, you're familiar with this, we were dealing with lots of plumbing issues. Lots of plumbing issues. I mean, plumbing issues that were out of this world. And because uh, we had to actually have our plumbing rebuilt. Um, yeah, exactly. And so that was fun. Um, I won't, I'll, I'll spare you the details. But in some of those instances, and the way our plumbing was connected, you get two bathrooms upstairs, and both toilets and both showers are connected in the same line. So if there's ever a backup, guess where it's going? It's going in all those places, okay? Um, in order for those clogs to be fixed, something has to get deep enough to the thing blocking to let everything pass through, right? Something's gotta get deep enough. You gotta get that auger in and it's gotta go deep enough into the system to move the blockage. If you want God's word to be sweet to you, you gotta sit with it long enough for it to get at the fear, to get at the envy, to get at whatever it is, whatever motives driving your heart, you're following your heart, but you know what? The light just turned out. I have nowhere to turn. You have to sit with God's word. It's got to get deep enough to where it changes you. And it actually heals you. I'm going to pray in closing, but I want you to consider these three reflection questions. And we're going to have communion, and you can keep considering them. Keep talking to the Lord. Do you listen to God's wisdom of restraint or the promptings of your heart? Right? Because we see those two things are at play here. We're going to fall, we're, by the way, there's no neutrality. We're all following something. The only question is, is it, is it God's word? Secondly, has God's word transformed your affections to love and find joy in his word and to hate what turns you from it? And thirdly, have you learned to cling to God's word in times of affliction? I'm going to pray. Father, we so easily and often underestimate what your word is. It's place in reality and the rightful place that it should have in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would minister hope to us currently. Lord, that wherever we are, God, that we would hear a message from you of invitation, not of condemnation, that's not of you. Um, that we would recognize the power of transformation that is so much greater than our own personal declaration. Lord, and that we would see, God, that you don't just want to change our behaviors, you want to change our affections, what we love. And you have the power and desire to do that. And I pray, Father, help us to invite you in, that you would bring us into a greater depth, this type of relationship with your word that the psalmist here is talking about, that we would encounter the living God, the, the, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. In Jesus' name, amen.